Well, it's, uh, it's great to be with you. My name, as already been said, is, is Michael Harvey, and um, you will tell by now that I don't come from around these parts. But do we need any dual translation? No, I think we'll get away with it. Look, if nobody understands what I'm saying, I am speaking English. So um, it was um, back in 1962, back in 1962, a young woman brought some difficult news to her mother. She had to tell her mother that she was pregnant out of wedlock. And her mother went spare. She was not well pleased at all. And major arguments happened. Well, in 1963, a boy is born and they name him Michael. Some Ten months later, the boy's mother has some more difficult news for her mother. She's pregnant again. I don't think she worked it out. And, um, and this time, her mother said, I'm not having another one in the house, so you're going to have to get rid of the second child and get rid of the boyfriend or leave your choice. So one day, Dr. Bernardo's came and took the second child away, and the boyfriend knocked on the door of the house one day, and they didn't answer the door. And the boy never saw his father again, or never even knew he had a sibling. Later, the boy, aged five, was rooting around the house and, for, and found a certificate. And on the certificate, it said, Michael John South. And the boy brought it down to his grandmother and said, who's Michael John South? And the grandmother took it away and said, that's nothing to do with you. So I am that boy. And I don't know where I would be without an invitation to church. At eight years of age, my mum knocked on the door one day, because I never lived with my mother, and she said, we're going to church. And at the age of 11, I met my mentor, who was the youth leader of the church. And one day he came to me and he said, Michael, if you start coming to church on a Sunday evening, you qualify for the church football team. I said, football? started going on a Sunday evening. <laughs> a couple of months later, I, um, he was approached me again. He said, on Friday evening, we've got this thing called Bible Club. He said, after Bible Club, we play table tennis. Table tennis started going on a Friday evening. <laughs> Two or three years later, he came to me again. And he said, you know that passage we were looking at tonight? Next week, could you prepare something? on that passage. I said, me? He said, yeah, you. And then he took me out when he went preaching to different places. I would read the lesson and he would preach. And one day he came to me and he said, oh, Michael, I've double booked myself. Could you go and preach at that church that we normally go to? For me? He said, yeah. What would I, what would I say? What, what we've been preparing for the past six months? Invitation, 
plays an incredible part in the life of the church. And I just don't know where I would be today without invitation. And you know what? In this passage that we've just had read, this gospel reading, it says in the passage, the first thing, or at first, after Andrew had spent some time with Jesus, it says the first thing that Andrew did. The first thing that Andrew did was he went to set up the first Anglican choir. (laughs) No, he didn't do that, did he? He was very naughty for not doing that. Very naughty indeed. No, no, the first thing that Andrew did was he went to set up the first social organisation to look after the poor. Oh, no, he didn't do that either. Very naughty for not doing that as well. No, no. It says here, the first thing that Andrew did was he went to invite his brother. And I just wonder, honestly, with all of the brilliant things that we do as the church worldwide, and we do some absolutely magnificent things, where would the world be without the stuff that we do? But I just wonder at times, have we forgotten the first thing? Have we forgotten the first thing? If you don't remember anything I say to you um, today, please remember what I'm about to say now. After 11 years of traveling around the world, I believe success, where invitation is concerned, is one person inviting one person as prompted by God. Now, please note what I didn't say. I didn't say success is one person inviting one person and that person saying yes. This is one of the most profoundly important points for Western Christianity to hear. I believe the yes and the no of an invitation belong to God. It doesn't belong to us. Even Paul said, I, Paul, planted... Apollos watered, but it's God that gives the growth. Oh, but no, that's not good enough for us in our generation. We've invented something called church growth. It appears to be all about us. And the word is growth, growth, growth. How do we get growth? How do we get growth going? I believe success is just the invitation. See, When you get growth into the picture, unfortunately, faithfulness goes out the other door. We've exchanged faithfulness for success, and it's killing the church. Even in the Ezekiel reading, it says, I will save my flock, but apparently not in our generation. Apparently, it's something to do with us. On the journey, I've discovered that we need to be as interested in the inviter as the invited person. At the moment, we seem to be only interested in the invited person, the person outside the four walls of a church building. I want to suggest that we get focused on the inviter. 
And so to become an invitational church, not just for the yes, but for what it makes of you to become one. I'm just trying to insert a small little word into the life of the church so that we're not just welcoming churches, but we're welcoming and inviting. The problem is, we all know this. We all know we're supposed to be invitational. I think we've become, we are educated beyond our level of obedience. Somebody said, introducing your friend to church is a bit like a boy taking his girlfriend home to meet his parents for the first time. My son Ben, at the age of, of 16, started going out with Emily. After four or five weeks of this, I approached his mother, my wife of course, and I said, don't you think it's time we met Emily? Well, negotiations of international proportions took place. <laughs> and after a couple of days, Ben came to me and said, Dad, Dad, Emily's coming on Tuesday. Behave. <laughs> and before we start doing any of this inviting stuff, we need to be going around our congregation going, behave, behave. And in fact, can you stay away on that day? <laughs> this whole thing is fraught with all sorts of difficulties. So what do you need to become an invitational church? Well, there's, there's several things that you, you need. And I'm so pleased you know, that this diocese and people here present have started a journey with the Diocese of Toronto with the spirit of invitation and the first video that's come out. You know, there's loads of things that we can learn in this area. But from this passage, I see three things. In verse 37, I see that you've got to have hunger. To become invitational, you've got to have hunger. It says the disciples followed Jesus. There's loads of people who met Jesus and never followed Jesus. Surprise, surprise. Jesus apparently wasn't as successful as we think he was. Loads of people didn't follow Jesus, but they followed Jesus. They had a hunger. They had a hunger after Christ. You see, on a Sunday, it's dead easy to sing or say, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. Oh, it's dead easy to sing it, isn't it? It's less easy when God nudges us to invite somebody. You know, we can sing on a Sunday how great our God is, how God moves the mountains, and then on Monday, when God nudges us to invite somebody, we say, you must be joking, I'm not doing that. G.K. Chesterton said, Christianity hasn't been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and therefore not tried. So I feel in our generation, we've got a form of diet Christianity going on. Christianity with lots of the relevant parts taking out. I think as we develop a hunger, we need to develop and look at a theology of fear. Fear in the life of the church. I believe fear, for example, is a thin space. 
I mean, I know we all want to go to Iona and all of these places, but fear is a very thin space where we can meet God. Fear as vision and fear as the boundary edge of the kingdom of God. I think we failed to put faith where it really counts. We in our generation have turned faith into certainty. I believe we need to put faith where there's fear and there I believe we'll find the power of God. So what hunger have you and I got? You've got to really want that thing badly. Really want that thing badly. So how bad do you want the congregation that you are representing here today to grow? How bad have you got it? So you've got to have hunger. That's the first thing I see in this passage. Second thing I see in this passage is that you've, you've got a dream. You've got a dream. It says, you shall see greater things than this. You shall see greater things than this. The Hebrew word for fear, translated 44 times in the Old Testament, is the Hebrew word yurah. So, where it says, don't be afraid, in Hebrew, the word yurah. There's many different words for fear, but yurah is a very interesting one. 44 times this is used. And it could be translated, hang about a minute, I'm about to do something. Or, here's another translation, to see. To see. To see or not to see. That is the question. Imagination is an attribute of God. So, let there be hundreds and thousands more finding relationship with God through those of us who are gathered here today. I'd like to say a million. That's my dream. But let there be hundreds more. What, but what is your dream? What is your dream? Cherish your vision. Cherish your dreams. In fact, I would say to everybody here, lead from your imagination, not from your memory. Pull from the future of what God has got for you. Learn from the past, definitely, but pull from the future. So if you could do anything, make any contribution, what would it be? What would it be when I ask people of my age in their 20s? Careful. What would you do, you know, if you could do anything? They go all dreamy-eyed on me and they say, oh, I'd love to do this. And I say, well, go and do it. And they say, naughty, Michael. That was a trap, wasn't it? It was indeed a trap. I said, why are you not going to do it? And they say to me, well, have you never heard of the word mortgage? Oh, yes, that Latin word, mort, death, gauge, grip. I've heard of it. <laughs> As we defer our God-given dreams to some point in the future where apparently everything is going to be okay. You know, my dream is a million Christians inviting a million friends in a day. For 11 years, 
I failed to meet that dream. But you know what? It's okay. It's my dream. It's my dream. I'll keep working the dream. So we have hunger, dream in this passage. And the third thing I see in this passage is resolve. Resolve. It says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Well, I come from North Manchester. Think Coronation Street, if any of you have ever watched that. You know, kind of two up, two down, you know, kind of cobbled streets and all of that. You know, I often think, North Manchester, can anything good come from there? But you know what? The good thing is that God tends to use people who think they can't do it. You know, there's a history here of taking those who think they can't do it and doing something with them. But whatever happens, wherever you are in life, you have to resolve. You have to resolve. On the day of Pentecost, the day the church was born, they were mocking, they were laughing, they were ridiculing the church. On the day the church was born, Peter and John were arrested. Leaders of the church arrested. You had to resolve. I mean, can you imagine if Archbishop Johnson was arrested? Actually, it's a very good thing. No, we mustn't go down that route. I know. You've got to resolve. Tough times don't last. Tough people do. Jesus went to the wilderness to be tested. And so will we. So will we. The 11th commandment has just been found just this afternoon. It says, thou shalt not quit. I'm so sorry to add to scripture in this place. I do apologize. Even if it's not there, the implication is that it's there. Thou shalt not quit. And I find in Western Christianity, we've quit. We've quit. I think we need to get into some ratio theology. Ratio theology. The sower goes out to sow the seed. Plural. Some of the seed falls on the path. Oh dear, we need a new initiative. No, we don't. We just need to keep on sowing. Ratio theology. C.S. Lewis received 800 rejections before he got a piece of work published. If he had given up, there would have been no Chronicles of Narnia. In the book of Hezekiah, chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, you have to kiss a lot of frogs until you find your prince. <laughs> You've got to resolve you've got to resolve. So hunger, dream, resolve. You know what? There could be another eight-year-old boy out there, a 15-year-old girl, a 25-year-old wife, a 40-year-old businessman, just waiting, just waiting for an invitation. I wonder I wonder, is it possible, is it possible in our generation 
that we could get back to the first thing. Amen.